Let me go ahead and pray and just commit this to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your incredible grace. Lord, thank you for your mercy, your patience. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, even this is my answer in prayer today to bring us down here safely. And thank you for the opportunity to dive into the word with these precious saints. Lord, I ask and I plead with you that you would open our eyes that we may see wondrous things in your law, that we would not only be hearers, but we would be doers of your word. Help us to be men and women who have, of prayer. Just to commit this to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're talking about illness. If I were to ask you a really difficult question and say, hey, tell me, if a person is sick, what type of characteristics do they have? How do we know someone is sick? You could look at them and uh, you, could, you could see they're tired, they're, maybe their hair is disheveled, um, you know, they're, um, what else, I don't know, I'm trying to think of that. What else would you look like if you were sick? Maybe you'd be in your pajamas, um, but you could hear it if they're sick, right? You can hear them coughing. You can hear them when they speak. They're congested. You know what it feels like to be sick. You're, you have body aches. You have headaches. Uh, you, don't, you just don't feel like doing anything. You're hurting all over. Those are marks that your body has been affected by either a virus, a bacteria, uh, whatever it may be. On the flip side, what, what are the marks or what are the characteristics of a healthy person? What do they look like? Well, they look normal, right? They just like their normal self. They have spunk. They, have, like, you, they just have energy. They sound fine. They're not coughing. They're not gagging. They, they, you know, there's um, nothing, um, yeah, you don't hear them doing that. Sorry about that. I didn't, I didn't really do that. This kind of happened. So um, I will try so hard not to uh, do that. So yeah, sorry about that. So yeah, um, so I apologize about that. But you, you, whatever it is, you can tell they're doing better. So I bring that up to say this. What would be a mark of a healthy church? What are the marks of a healthy church? You know, there's many books out there, many people who have talked about this. Some, they would consider themselves gurus, and they write about marks of a healthy church. Tragically, many of those marks are based purely on pragmatism or based purely on if more and more people come to that church. Because in American churches, often that is what we mark as successful. You know, sometimes when I have privileges um, to go and preach at youth camps or at conferences, often what I'm asked when I get back is, well, how many people were there? How many people got saved? And based upon that, my answer, they would deem that successful or not. And it's great to hear how many, what God did in the lives of people. But we think about that, and often numbers drive everything. Now, pragmatism is fine. We all need common sense, right? For example, if you had people that came here to the church that were visiting, you wouldn't charge them, you know, $15 for a cup of coffee. 
You wouldn't, you know, come in and there's an open chair saying, get out of here. You're not, you're not welcome here. That's just common sense. But where do we go to find out what is a mark of a healthy church? And I want you to turn with me to the book of Colossians, chapter 4. And we're going to look at one today. And the answer of where you go to find where marks or marks, excuse me, of a healthy church is, is the, are the scriptures. The one who instituted the church, the Lord, gives us wisdom on what is a mark or marks of a healthy church. Now, time won't permit to go through all of those today, but I like to focus on one, and that is prayer. A mark of a healthy church is a church that is committed to prayer. A church that is focused on that. A church that doesn't just speak about it, but practices it. When I came down here a couple weeks ago, I was thrilled to hear about the time that you get together as a church at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning and commit that time for the purpose of prayer. That is great. That was, that was really encouraging because that is what the early church did. You know, in America, if you, if you, back in the day, I remember my home church back in Philadelphia, Wednesday night used to be a big night. You know, we didn't have Awana. We had, at my church, we had what's called Word of Life clubs, and they were, they were similar like Awana. And during that time, we had that with the children. Um, the church would get together and have a prayer meeting. And that used to be a central part of many churches. But over the time, for whatever reason, prayer meetings are less and less attended. And you wonder about the church in America. Why is the church seemingly impotent, no power, not making an impact because I believe it's not praying because a prayerful church is a powerful church. And this is my plea to you as this church to excel still more, to have this focus on prayer. It's sadly getting over and overlooked. Before I dive in here to Colossians chapter 4, and we're looking at verses 2 through 4 today. Before I get in here and, and explain what Paul does to this church about how to pray, permit me just again to spend some time about the lack of prayer here in America. And as you think of that, I want you to evaluate yourself. How is your own personal prayer life? Honestly, it's, it's sort of like humility. None of us can say, oh, I'm humble, right? Because once you say you're humble, you know, you're prideful, right? And if you always say, I'm, I got it, I'm fine in my prayer life, you, 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 who can ever say, oh yeah, I'm great in my prayer life? We always can excel still more. We always can grow. You know, as, I was just reading on prayer over the years, and one thing that, I remember one church that was really powerful, the church where um, Spurgeon preached at, when he had visitors come to his church, the story is told that he would take them down to a room where the people were praying. And he would take these people down there and say, hey, listen, this is where the power comes from, from the church, are all these people praying. And I believe, and I, if, if I remember accurately, that all during the week, people in that church would commit to praying. And God used the word greatly in the lives of many people in that area in England. See, that's where the power comes from, but often we're cold and dead in America. D.A. Carson wrote a book 
on prayer. And it's, a, it's called a call to spiritual reformation. And listen closely to what he says. D.A. Carson is a professor, and he says this. We have learned to organize, build institutions, publish books, insert ourselves into the media, develop evangelistic strategies, and administer discipleship programs. But we have forgotten how to pray. He says, why do I believe this? He talks about an interview that he had with 50 seminary students, people that were on their way to be in leadership in the church who were, who were going to go overseas and minister. And this is what he asked. They were, they were asked about it. He says, they were asked about their personal times with the Lord. They interviewed 50 of them. What did they find? Only three of those 50, 6% could testify to regular quiet times, times of reading the scriptures, or devoting themselves to prayer. 6%. That alarms my soul. I mean, I think in my own personal prayer life, do I speak more powerfully about what we should do than I am really doing myself? How are you doing with your time of communion with the Lord? Prayer is absolutely critical. If each individual, each of you individually, is taking time to be with your Lord to pray, then, and, and, then, and this church is doing that, you will be a healthy church. This church can make an impact in the, the Garden Grove, the Placentia area, or I don't know, all the other areas down here. It make an impact. See, Robert Murray McShane said this, when a man alone on his knees before God, that he is and no more. So who you are on your knees before, the, that's who you are and no more. We're called to pray. And so let's dive into the text here. We, we can see it many times in Scripture. It says that pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 and Ephesians 6.18, pray on all occasions. There, there is this commitment to prayer Samuel said, if I stop praying for you, talking to the Israelites, I'd be sinning. So how are we supposed to pray? Well, look at me here in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2. And Paul says to the Colossi church, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Paul is writing his closing um, exhortations to the church of Colossae. And he writes to them about what they're to do to make an impact in this world. And in my, my passion for you is if you heed how to pray, what Paul says here. You'll be pleasing to the Lord, your church will be healthy, and you'll be able to make an impact in this world for the Lord. So how are you supposed to pray? Well, let me give you the four ways right off, right off the front here, and then we'll, we'll go back through them. They're all adverbs, but you're to pray persistently. To pray persistently. Secondly, you are to pray alertly. So persistently and alertly. Third, we are to pray appreciatively. 
appreciatively or thankfully. I'm trying to stick with a, somewhat of an alliteration here. And finally, to pray purposefully. So persistently, alertly, appreciatively, and purposefully. Much easier to say thankfully than appreciatively. So I might just say thankfully, but you get the idea. So let's take a look. Why are we supposed to pray persistently? Look at verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer. That's the word persistent, the word devote. It, it means to be strong towards, to continue in. So the question we, we would ask is, what are we to be strong towards, to devote our time, attention, and strength toward? And the answer is to prayer. He says to yourselves, devote yourselves individually and ultimately as a church, devote yourselves to prayer. This is what he was calling them to do. Now, if the church, when they got this letter, if they would follow through on this, they would be following the leader of their church, the founder of their church, Epaphras, and they would also be emulating what the early church did. See, the, the founder of this church, Epaphras, was a man of prayer. L look down with me at, at verse 12. And be, as before I read verse 12, Epaphras, we believe, was the founder. We believe most likely when Paul was preaching the gospel in the city of Ephesus, him and other people from Colossae had come. They had heard the gospel. God saved them. And then in chapter 1, it says Epaphras had given them the gospel. They had heard it from Epaphras. Now Epaphras was in Rome with Paul, and look what Paul says about him. Verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. That, that word, that phrase, laboring earnestly, it describes a strenuous and costly activity. It comes from the athletic arena and pictures the intense effort and energy of an athlete contending for a prize. Epaphras is there with Paul, spending his time, his energy, and his efforts for the benefit of the people that he loves back in Colossae. He's giving all that he has for them. This is how people love other people. I think one of the best ways you can love one another is by praying for them. You're taking your time, setting it aside. You're taking your prayers, what you could pray for things for yourself, and you're, and you're saying, no, I'm going to focus on those other people. And you, and you plead to, to the, your, your Lord on behalf of these people that they would, their sanctification. And Epaphras spent, he gave his life to this for them. This is, this is what a godly man does. This is why I'm encouraged by your elders is that this is what they're committed to. I want you to turn with me also to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Not only if, if that church at Colossae, if they follow through and praying persistently, would they follow their leader, but they would also imitate the early church. When you guys look and work together as a church and say, what should our church be about? You know, are we... Uh, I, are we going to be known? You know, what do we want to be about? What, do, what is this church going to be about? This is one thing that absolutely is a must, is a must. You're not going to tell everybody and trumpet, hey, we're a great praying church. You're not going to do that. But 
This is what we, we committed to. And um, look at me at verse chapter 1 of Acts and verse 14. And I'm going to walk you through some verses in Acts to show you what they did. Verse 14. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. There they go. Jesus ascends to heaven. They come back. And what did this group of believers do? They spend time together in prayer. Look at chapter 2 and verse 42. And here, right, you have just before this, God had, had changed the lives of many people. He, was, he saved many people. And so a church forms there in Jerusalem. And what does the early church do? Chapter 2 and verse 42. It says, there's this word devote again. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. It's what they did. Turn with me to Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. And you won't see that word devote here. But you get to see again what Luke is, is writing about this church, this church, this group of people. He says, verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak the word of God with boldness. They were praying. Acts chapter 6 and verse 4. Let me give you a couple more here. And you guys are all very intelligent, so you, you get the point. But this is what they're committed to. A problem arises in the early church. There's, there's um, some tension, right, about here in verse 1, about um, the feeding of, of the widows here, right? And the men, the apostles, give clear direction. And here, though, what do they say they're going to be committed to? Verse 4 of Acts 6. But we will... Devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. There it is. We will devote. Turn with me to Acts chapter 12 and verse 12. Acts 12 and verse 12. And Peter, right, he's, he's arrested and he comes. They're praying at, uh, at the, uh, John Mark's, uh, his mother's house. And here, this is what it says in Acts 12, 12. And when he had realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. This is what they did. You look at Jesus' life, particularly in the book of Luke, and Luke highlights prayer. Before Jesus chose the apostles, he prayed. He would often go to quiet places and he would pray. It's not silly if Jesus thought prayer was important and spent time doing it, then we need to do it. Let me give you a couple more verses. Romans chapter 12 and verse 12, okay? That helps to remember, okay? Acts 12, 12, Romans 12, 12. And I know I'm just sort of doing a survey here. This really helps me. This helps remind, my, remind me, John, this is what you need to be committed to. Romans 12 and verse 12, and, he's, and Paul says, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. There's the exact same word again. Look at me at chapter 13 and verse 6. 
This isn't on prayer, but I want to read this for you because it, it, it links. He's, for because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Why in the world would you read that thing? Well, this is why. See that word, devoting themselves? That's the same word that we find in Colossians. And I, I wanted to read this for this reason. Think about how much energy, right, government goes through to collect taxes. S. Lewis Johnson, this is what he said on this verse. He says, modern citizens need no clear illustration of continuous energy. If the church demonstrated in its prayer life the dedication and persistence of the government in its collection of revenue, he says that the church would indeed have little to fear from the gates of hell. Do we pray? Listen to some of these quotes. Thomas Watson said this, a godly man cannot live without prayer. A man cannot live unless he takes his breath, nor can the soul unless it breathes forth its desire to God. As soon as the babe of grace is born, it cries. No sooner was Paul converted than behold, he prays. Paul got saved, he prayed. He was devoted to it. J.C. Ryle, probably my favorite author, outside, outside this, there was in the scripture, he says, prayer is one great secret of spiritual prosperity. When there is much private communion with God, your soul will grow like the grass after rain. When there is little, he says, all will be at a standstill. You will barely keep your soul alive. He says, show me a growing Christian, a flourishing Christian, and sure am I, he is one that speaks often with his Lord. Spurgeon flat out said, the secret of all ministerial success lies in the prevalence of the mercy seat. He even said this, and I'm trying to read slowly so you get it. He said, the minister who does not earnestly pray over his work must surely be a vain and conceited man. He acts as if he thought himself sufficient of himself and therefore needed not to appeal to God. See, neglect of private prayer is the locust which devours the strength of the church, he adds on. You know, my wife and I are praying for, your, for this church. Our hope is that this will be a church that wants to exalt Christ, that wants to do what the Lord calls you to do, and that includes prayer. Persistence in prayer. Now turn back with me to Colossians 4. See, Paul was pleading with them in this, this simple command, devote yourselves to prayer. Now why don't we pray? I, I've asked myself that question. Why don't, why, don't, why don't I pray? You know, sometimes, you know, I have six, we have six children. We have a, we have a, a three-bedroom house, and, which is great. And uh, we have four girls in one room, so... Right now, they're small, so it'll work out for them, you know. But, uh, but here's the thing. I can make an excuse. Well, you know what? I can't get away because every time I try to find a place to go and pray, right, in my house, uh, somebody's going to try to find me. They're, 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 there's gonna, they're, and somebody's going to be crying. There's going to be, you know, some, um, s- some sort of uh, tension you've got to work through, right? And I could easily make that excuse. 
I have ministry to do. I got I got to prepare for sermons. I I have to read books. I have to and all this stuff. And I could go through and make excuses for prayer. Well, you know, talking to high school or college students or even those who are in you know, grad school, I have to study. We got finals. We're paying money. We want to graduate. We want to do well. I, I was read about Martin Luther, and he said this: he would pray two hours every morning. On a day that he expected to be extra busy, he increased his prayer time to three hours. I, I know I can make excuses or, or, or have great intentions to pray and let things derail me from, my, from praying. And it's not about a certain time that you're more godly. I'm not f- going to focus on the quantity. My, my heart before you is that you be devoted, that you be persistent, that things that come up to rob you of that, that stifle you from that, that you'll work hard to set it aside. Set a time. Set some sort of time. My prayer is for you. My, is, that, why? Because often when we set a time, we block out that time, it's more of a chance that we'll pray than we will if we'll just, whatever, you know, just let it go. They want to pray all the, anytime you can, but I encourage you to do that. Be devoted to prayer. Be a persistently praying church. Secondly, not only should you be praying persistently, but praying alertly. Look at verse 2 of here in Colossians 4. And right after he says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it. It refers to spiritual alertness. When Christians pray, they must do so without divided interest or attention, right? One author says this, in its most basic sense, this means to stay awake and not fall asleep. All right? Be alert. We got that. It is impossible to pray while sleeping. Fair enough. He goes on to say, Christians should choose times when they are awake and alert to pray. He also means, Paul, that is, that believers should look for those things about which they ought to be praying. Christians sometimes pray vague general prayers that are difficult, he says, for God to answer because they do not really ask anything specific. To be devoted to prayer requires something specific to pray for. We will never pray persistently for something we are not concerned about. And to be concerned, we must be alert to specific needs. Now, how many times, we, yeah, I don't have you raise your hands, but when we go to bed, we, we, we lay down and we start, we start to pray. Right? That's a good thing, we're praying. But how, if that's our only time of prayer, how, how often do we last? We get a nice, comfortable bed, nice sheets. I don't know what count your sheets are, right? But, you know, you have not, you're comfortable, you got blankets, you got pillows, you just, you know, it's nice and comfortable, and it's, you've worked hard all day, you finally have all your children in bed, at this point they're sleeping, you know, and, they're, uh, and you lay down and you start to pray, I was, sorry, I was going to do my dosing again, right? And, um, and you, you go down. Now, I'm glad you're starting to pray, but if that's the only time a prayer to delay only prayer time during the day, it may not be where you're that alert. See, Paul's saying, be alert. Keep spiritually alert. Pray when you're awake, but also be alert. Be attentive. Ask God for help. Ask one another specifically how you can pray for them. And when somebody asks you, give specific answers. Be attentive to the needs of one another. Keep alert in this. 
Ask God for wisdom. Lord, help me right now to be able to discern who I can minister to. Lord, help me to be able to pray in a way that pleases you. Help me to be alert and attentive to the needs of my fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. Keep alert in you when you're praying. So you want to pray persistently. You want to be, pray alertly. Look at also verse two here. You want to keep alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. You want to pray appreciatively or thankfully. If we were walking through the whole book of Colossians, this would be the fifth time that Paul has mentioned gratitude in this epistle. He wanted believers to be grateful for salvation in chapter one, for growth in chapter two, for fellowship with Christ and his church and for the opportunity to serve in chapter three. And here, you want to pray with an attitude of thanksgiving. Take time when you pray to give thanks to the Lord, to dwell on the gratitude for, for what, all the things the Lord's given to you. If, if you pray for a safe trip to work or wherever you go, when God grants you that, be thankful for it. If you get over your cold, right? You guys have been sick. Thank the Lord for that. Thank you that he has sustained you through the time of illness. This thing, read through the Bible, meditate on him. His mercies are new every day. Jeremiah said that, Lamentations. Great is his faithfulness. There's so much to be thankful for. Listen, if you can't think of anything else to be thankful for, be thankful for salvation. Listen, if the Lord never does one anything else for you the rest of your life, he's already done more than we deserve by laying his life on the cross and rising again. Be thankful for this. Whatever it is, just think through this. If at first you're not sure all the things to be thankful for, don't give up. But that's what he says, with an attitude of thanksgiving. You know, when we're praying, I just find this personally, when we're praying, and if I'm, if there's a lot of things that are burdening my soul and things are just weighty, if I take the time and just think about everything that we're thank- I can be thankful for, guess what happens? The peace that passes all understanding guards my heart and my soul. That's what Philippians 4 says. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to the Lord. This is what we're called to do. Instead of focusing all the obstacles, focus on the greatness of our God. Be thankful. This is how we are to pray. So we know we are to pray, but we have to be persistent, be devoted, be strong towards it, be, have passion for it, be alert in it. Take, make sure you're praying at your best times of the day, right, when you're alert. Be attentive to the needs of the body. When you pray, be thankful be grateful. I, I mean, I, I wish I, I wish I, the thoughts of complaining would not come to my mind. I could have so many things go well in a day, and then one thing happens, right? Maybe that's not you. I mean, I, I'm a big Philadelphia sports fan, and they always lose, but they just don't win championships, right? And things could go well, and, I, and a Philadelphia team could lose, and I could be this ungrateful, well, how in the world do I let that affect my walk with the Lord? And I have to go and say, Lord, forgive me. There's so much to be grateful for. This is what we're called to pray. Finally, we're also supposed to pray purposely. 
what, did, what, pur- what specific purpose did Paul ask the church at Colossae to pray for? He, the purpose of which they were supposed to pray related to evangelism. Look at verse 3. He says, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open to us a door for the word so that we might speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Paul asked them to pray for two things, two items, relation to evangelism. First was an opportunity to evangelize, that a door would be opened that he could proclaim the mysteries of Christ. Secondly, when he had the opportunity, he asked the church to pray that he would be clear when he preached the gospel. Let's look at verse three. Praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word. If a door is shut, the only way you can go through the door is what? You have to open the door. If it's locked, you need a key, you unlock it and you go through the door. When a door is shut, you're not able to go through that door. Real simple stuff. But Paul wanted a door to be opened, right? Why? Because he wanted to speak forth the mystery of Christ. God had opened and closed doors for Paul in his ministry. In 1 Corinthians 16, he says, I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service has opened to me. He wrote the the church at Corinth again in 2 Corinthians 2.12. Now when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ and when a door was opened for me in the Lord. He's begging this church, pray that God will open a door for him. He wanted to give the gospel. Look, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. Paul wanted to preach the gospel. The word mystery, it was this truth that one time was hidden, but has now been revealed. Paul wanted an opportunity to preach the Gospels, the truth that Jews and Gentiles are one in Christ, that Jesus is the Savior. What I find amazing about this is Paul didn't ask the church of Colossae that he would get out of prison. He didn't ask that he would have better food or better beverages in the dungeon. He wanted a door opened. He was in prison for this. He was in prison right right then, and he, he wanted the door to be opened. He wanted to give the gospel. It was his burden. It was his passion. It was his love. And he's begging this church, pray specifically that God would just bust open a door, that the the guards, anybody that could come in, I could preach the gospel. I could tell them about Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. The, The king of kings, the lion of Judah, the lamb that laid his life down. This is what he had to do. This, this is fantastic. And, and then he also prayed that when the door is opened, verse four, that he may make it clear in the way he ought to speak. He wanted clarity. This is, this is fantastic to me. I marvel that he prayed this way. If anybody was a great evangelist, 
it was Paul. If anybody knew the gospel, right, outside Jesus, it was Paul. If anybody had tons of practice in proclaiming the gospel, it was Paul. If anybody had planted more, nobody had planted more churches than Paul. He knew how to communicate the gospel, but he wasn't prideful. He didn't think, man, I've arrived. I got it going on. I don't need any help, right? No, what, what did he do? He prayed for clarity. I want to make it clear. I want to preach the right gospel. I want to preach an undiluted gospel. I want to preach Christ and him crucified. I don't want to get it wrong. I don't want to say anything wrong. Help me pray that I would be clear when, the, when God opens up the opportunities. You in here, those of you that are saved, you have the great news. You have this good news. You have life-changing information. And you're still on earth. And God is calling us to go and preach the gospel. Pray for opportunities every day to give the gospel. See, the word, I say opportunities, it's basically the same thing when it says, open to us a door for the word. When a door is opened up, I, you know, that's an opportunity, right? So you go and talk to people about the Lord. Sometimes they just resist. Sometimes they want to engage in conversation. That's an opportunity. Pray for that. Bleed, and I, I know you do, I, I, this for people that are lost. One of the things I was really encouraged about this church also a couple weeks ago is I was talking to some here, and you have an outreach, I believe it was Cal State Fullerton and UC Irvine, to give the gospel. That was, and, and somebody was saying that that's how the, what the Lord used in their lives, to, they, got, they got saved. Keep that up. Keep that up. Pray every day that God will give you opportunities. Some of you, I, I noticed, talking through your professions, um, work in different fields. Pray for your coworkers. Pray that God will give you opportunities to give the gospel. Isn't it true, or at least I, I find this, when I'm praying for doors to be opened, I'm more, uh, I seems to be more ready to give the gospel. When you're, when you're driving on the street and you see people walking down the road and you're praying, for the, you're praying that God will save them and you're praying for people, then when you're talking to people, the gospel seems to be much more readily on your mind, does it not? Than when you're thinking about other things. The other day, I, I have a part-time job, real exciting, where I, um, where, uh, where I deliver coffee to some coffee stores up in Santa Clarita. Uh, it's exhilarating, you know. But anyway, but, uh, and we were headed for, I was at the head out for work and, and we were, my wife and I had a privilege of praying together. And she was just like, I pray that you give my husband many opportunities to give the gospel today. It was very convicting. I, I, it just blinked. It was great. You know, this is, this is what we need to do. Pray for these opportunities. You, I don't want to take too much time to go on this trail, but I, my, my, this is my passion. Make, take every opportunity you can. Just, just look at me at verse 5. He says, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. You only get so many opportunities to give the gospel. I grew up in Philadelphia. I always thought I'd be in Philadelphia. And I say that because I missed many opportunities back in high school. 
There weren't many believers at my high school. Big high school, about 2,500. And I could think of maybe five in my class. And I, I never played, I played basketball and baseball. I never played once in my entire life with a person who was a believer on any of my teams, any of my travel teams. And I got, I got worn out sometimes being made fun of all the time for being a believer. And sometimes, admittedly, and tragically, I, I just wanted to keep quiet because I was tired of it. And I missed opportunities. And I plead with you that you would not do that. Pray for a door to be opened. And when you have a door, pray that God would give you clarity. Clarity to give the gospel. What is the gospel? In a, in a few short minutes here, we're going to take communion. We're going to remember the work of Jesus Christ. Why did Jesus Christ have to come to this earth? You look in the scriptures, and, and what do we find out about God? Well, a couple weeks ago, we saw he's a shepherd. God is perfect. He is holy. He is without sin. He is unblemished. And he's in heaven. And it says in heaven, right, you need to be, excuse me, it says in the scriptures that you need to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. You need to be holy as he is holy. The only way that a person can be with him in heaven is to be without sin. The question is, are people without sin? And the scriptures are clear. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3 says. Every person has sinned. There's none good. There's none righteous. All of us have fallen short of his standard. None of us have been perfect on every quiz or every test, right, when it comes to pleasing the Lord in our lives. Some people don't think that's a big deal because they think, I can work my way. I can get rid of my sinfulness. But Ephesians 2 said, by grace you are Save, right? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We can't work our way to heaven. We're not saved by works, Paul says in Ephesians and in Timothy and in Titus. Not only that, there are consequences for our sin. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Death means separation. Physical death is a separation from your, your soul and your physical Body, eternal death is separation from the Lord for all eternity. God's standard is perfect. Man is imperfect with no ability to do anything about it. And this is the great news. The Lord knew that, so God became a man. Jesus Christ lived the perfect life, died upon the cross. God's justice, his dealing with sin, was met there on the cross when Jesus took that. He didn't sin. He never sinned, but he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. He was rich and became poor. Excuse me a second. (coughs) This is why Jesus came to earth. He died so that we could live. God's standards perfection were imperfect. Jesus came to be a ransom so that we could go to heaven. Isn't that amazing? What What should our response be to this information? Repentance, we need to turn from our own ways, our own thoughts, what we think we can do to get to heaven. We need to turn from that, have a change in mind, and put our faith, our complete trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This is the great news. 
This is what Paul prayed for, asked the church, excuse me, at Colossae to pray for, that he would be clear in the presentation of the gospel. When we take communion after I pray here, this is what we're gonna remember, the work of Jesus Christ. I, I tell you, what an unbelievable thing that he would lay his life down so we could live. He was perfect, shed blood so we could live. May this church pray for opportunities. May this church pray purposely for the purpose of giving the gospel and being clear and being bold as he asked the church at Ephesus to pray for. When you give the gospel, be bold. May this church be committed to prayer, persistent prayer, alert prayer, appreciative prayer, and purposeful prayer. Let's pray. Lord God, you are such an amazing God. Wake our souls up, Lord. Wake my soul up to spend time with you in communion and prayer, Lord. Lord, I would pray for the lost in this area. Oh, save them, Lord. Draw them to yourself, Lord. Grant them repentance. Open their eyes, Lord. Take the blinders off their eyes because, Lord, only you can save. Lord, I pray as we remember you, Lord, help us to always remember you. Thank you for your body that was marred more than any other man. Thank you, Lord, for your blood that was shed. Thank you for redemption. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.